Hello, this is Nicholas Polacki from Shibui Japanese Whiskey. Pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast. What's up? It is good answer. Anyway, hot <laughs> as, yeah, it's hot as balls in here. Yeah, it it might be like sweaty balls. It's it's a uh, like like the moon falls into the sun hot. I okay. don't know if that's a thing. There is a yeah. lunar eclipse scheduled for tonight, the night that we're recording. So yeah. you know, way to yeah. tie in some um, galactic news there. Good job. You're so well read. I'm an astronomer. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently I you're not very astronomy. <laughs> We're closer to the sun in the fourth quarter of its quadrant. Okay, no. let's bring on our guest before I right, keep exactly. going down the... It is hot in here, though. I, I feel so badly because... So our studio is in a historic building, and, you know, part of the renovations have been getting a You didn't live long century. enough to see AC back then. Yeah. 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 People died before the summer. Yeah. <laughs> so you there wasn't it, a need. You made it one spring, and that was it. But I'm not kidding you. We've had such a run of bad luck... And I feel really badly for our HVAC contractor right now, actually, because he is in the hospital with kidney failure. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh, but, you know, that's why it's... I mean, he's in the hospital with kidney failure. Priorities. I'm sweating. So I know. We're, we're, we all have our... I know. I need yeah. to send him that note so we can yeah. fix this. But. It's, it was in my contract that I would never be too hot or too cold in the studio. I don't want to throw that out and air our dirty laundry in front of the listeners, but... Uh, well, I'm glad that our guest is My lawyer will be... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm looking forward to our guest. We have th- this conversation, and we've done a few episodes on Japanese whiskey. I always act like our guest is a surprise when their name is right there in the podcast right, you know, right. title. Um, but we've done a few episodes on Japanese whiskey, and including one with him before, and it's such a misunderstood whiskey. Mm-hmm. And yet I pre- uh, it, among my favorite whiskeys are Japanese whiskeys. Um, and I struggle with some things like rice and stuff. So I'm really curious to kind of get into that conversation and have him solve this crisis for us. Yeah, yeah. I think he could do it single-handedly. If yeah. there were one person to do it, yeah. it's probably him. I want to see Scotch stock plummet and Japanese whiskey <laughs> just go in one, you know what I mean? That's just malicious. Yeah. Well, well I guess we're going to figure it out. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, with that glorious introduction, no, we're really excited to have Nicholas Palaki from Shibui Whiskey joining us again. So, Nicholas, thanks for listening to us go through all that. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was beautiful. What's Bobby, that? you must be so ecstatic to know that it's a, a lunar eclipse. Yeah. yeah. I know that you've got your calendar marked. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Meaningful and that probably also explains your mood swings of late. Season of the goat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a practicing... <laughs> Wiccan, so you know, I don't know. All our Wiccan listeners are like, he's way off. All, he's... Of, all of our fact checking yeah. listeners hopefully took the day off. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So, listeners want to know here we are talking to a Scott about Japanese whiskey. Um, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Well, so I think one of the things around Japanese whiskey that's probably misunderstood is really. Why are you drinking malt whiskey from Japan? Mm. And why does why is that the only thing that supposedly defines Japanese whiskey? Exactly. And that's one of the things that should be that I find is a, a welcome challenge. So for me, you know, you kind of need to look back into the history books. And we've, you know, we said this in the first um, episode. You can't talk about Japanese whiskey without talking about Suntory and without talking about Nika and Mazataka Takatsuru and Sujiro Torai and these fantastic people that kind of help shape malt whiskey in japan but it's it's a little disingenuous to say that that should be the only thing that defines japanese whiskey because all whiskey is rooted in agriculture so in scotland we grow barley and we grow wheat and it was the farmers of the land that were basically making moonshine so they had a tradable commodity if there was a bad harvest right so if you think back to like 16th century and and 17th century that really what what people were drinking they weren't drinking 
aged, matured malt whiskey. It's it called Cleric in Scotland and Gaelic. But basically, it was right off the still, absolute rocket fuel, moonshine. Mm. And then the successful farmers started to build bigger distilleries and then started to sell the product further afield. It went into oak barrels in Scotland. And oh, oh, once it got to its destination, it was golden in colour, soft in flavour. And everybody goes off to the races to start maturing whiskey. But also in Scotland, everything's blended. Like the category of single malt whiskey really wasn't what was being branded, sold and marketed. Even though every individual malt distillery was technically a single malt distillery, they were selling their whiskey in to be blended. And that didn't really change into the late 1960s, 1970s. Even Macallan didn't release as a single malt until the 1980s. So that puts into context that people need to think about, like what is what is this world of single malt that we're now living in? So if all whiskey in Scotland is blended throughout this time frame, predominantly that's what's been branded, sold it, and marketed throughout the world. And then the exact same thing happens in the States, right? So even to the point where it's written into law. So by law, American bourbon, mash bill needs to be at least 51% corn. That has got nothing to do with making whiskey. You can make whiskey out of any cereal. That's mm. the point. That's the real way. You can make any grain and make whiskey out of it. But by tying the grain of the land into the whiskey of the land by 51% corn, that creates agriculture being linked to the whiskey of land and then you have japan and in japan you have the opposite of that so in japan you have basically 2000 years of rice alcohol production you have 600 years of rice distilling in okinawa and every whiskey's gone through a stepping stone process not you know in scotland we didn't just go okay here's single malt and it's all matured for 12 and 15 years old and fill your boots so every whiskey's gone through that stepping stone process of you know taking a new make spirit finding its way into oak barrels, figuring out the timeframes and all these other fun things. And Japan was kind of doing that until that kind of timeframe in like 1918 when Mazataka Takatsuru goes to Scotland, learns how to make malt whiskey, comes back to Japan, works with Sunjiro Torai, builds and helps set up Suntory in the, the building of Yamazaki distillery, separates off and then creates Nika. And because those two companies didn't want to work for, from, from a blending standpoint to sell the whiskey to each other, then... The, the entire category of Japanese whiskey then has to look further afield for blending whiskey because single malt doesn't exist yet. So then you've got the Japanese whiskey distilleries that are basically, their stills were built in Scotland and shipped to Japan. And to this day, all the malted barley that's used for making malt whiskey in Japan comes from Europe, predominantly comes from the United Kingdom. So you're taking the grain of a different continent, shipping it into another country and then saying, and this is the whiskey that defines that land. And to me, I have a tough time with that. Like that's not, that shouldn't be the only thing that defines a whiskey. They are fantastic at it, but that's not the defining factor. The, the example I often give is, do you know how difficult would, it would be if I was saying, this is the best French champagne you've ever drank mm. and all the grapes came from California? <laughs> yeah. I, good luck selling that product. But that's kind of what's happened in the world of Japanese whiskey. So for us, and for me in particular, I call it malt whiskey from Japan. And it's a distinction and a difference. Like the grain is not the grain of Asia. It's been brought in for that quality to make. And there is, you know, don't get me wrong, there's, there is barley in, in, in Japan, but it's not to the size and scale that you would ever need for the, for the massive production facilities that are some of these bigger distilleries. So I think that's the missing link. A lot of people that drink Japanese malt whiskey don't realize that the cereal has come from predominantly from England uh, and other parts of Europe, Scotland as well. So I think that's the thing that, for certainly from my standpoint, like I want... I want people to understand that it's an important part of Japanese whiskey making, but it's not that it shouldn't be the defining feature of Japanese whiskey. Yeah. So when you're talking to people about Shibui whiskey and, you know, everything that goes into the craftsmanship and what you guys are using, do you find yourself doing more reclarification and education? Or are you looking at that as a chance to kind of, you know, redefine the boundaries and I was gonna say the introduce same thing. people to that from a new aspect? Yeah. All of the above. In fact, what what I genuinely believe, so, and this was ingrained into me from working, obviously, with Scotch whiskies for such a long period of time. The difference between Scotch whiskies and Japanese whiskies is very stark and very simple for me. When I look at the category of Japanese whiskey, when you look around the people in the United States that talk about Japanese whiskey, one, it's few and far between. Mm -hmm. And two, they only talk about themselves. And in Scotland, that's not what we do. When, when I worked for McAllen, when I worked for Balvenie, when I've worked on Glenrothes, when I've worked with uh, Ben Reichen and Glendronach and these amazing whiskey companies, they're all the same in this aspect. We love our brands, but it's an interest that the category grows. 
So we talk about Scotland. We are advocates for Scotland. We're advocates for come to our distilleries. I'll cook you up with our friends here. Speak to this ambassador over there. Oh, have you ever met this guy? Have you ever met this girl? Here are the people that you need to speak to. And we all do that. And in Japan, they do not do that. Mm. So I have said to my entire team, our our role is to talk about all things Japanese whiskey. I love Mika whiskeys. I love Suntory whiskeys. I love Marzawai. I, I talk to people and tell them to go out and drink Fukano and Ihishi and, and also Shibui because that is, is the categories in its infancy comparatively to compared to Scotland. So for, for me, it's not about just me trying to talk somebody into thinking differently about rice whiskey. It's to actually get them to understand that the category of Japanese whiskey doesn't revolve around two players and it shouldn't just revolve around malt whiskey because it doesn't make sense to talk about Japan and malt whiskey exclusively. Because that's not the stepping stone process. And I think because there's been that hundred year period of people hearing the malt whiskey story and the malt whiskey story, oh, cool. People don't really know the true story behind world blending either. So they've now got this whole thing about, well, why are we talking about Scotland and Scotch whiskey's been blended into Japanese distillate? As if that's some dirty little secret. Well, yeah. guess what? That's the entire backbone of Suntory's fortune. Yeah. They didn't release single malt until the 1980s and 1990s either. Right. So... What are we talking about? Like the category of these whiskies, the, 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 the money that's been put into this um, has helped shape that narrative. And as great as that whiskey is, and by the way, it, 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 it's just a portion. I think that's the thing. Like for us, imagine if you were to say, no, 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 American whiskey is just bourbon. It's only bourbon and only bourbon alone. And that's all we talk about. And anything else isn't good enough. That's just, see that rye crap? No, 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 no. We don't talk about that. See these other malts? No, there's no malt whiskey here. Like, that, it's insane to think about it like that. So, but like, like you said, well, my number one thing is always this. One, do you like it? Two, is it, is it actually good? Like, do, do you I think like the that. spirit's good quality? And then, then we can talk about what should define something or not. But don't, I mean, there's so much... BS out there that we're just trying to cut through that noise and be like, look, come to the party and, and let people try it. Yeah. People should should try our single grains. People should try other single grain rice whiskies. And then you should go, look, this is where it sits on the shelf comparatively to all other amazing offerings that you get. I love the opportunity to have a more inclusive conversation like that too, because one of the things that we've talked about with different guests is, you know, how in certain situations with some groups of folks, they start off a conversation by trying to narrow it down before it can even get started, right? So you kind of, like you mentioned before, you just zone in on one area that maybe that person knows the most about or happens to represent, and you just miss kind of the broader context about why their, sp or their spirit could stand out in the first place. Or to his point, do you even, yeah. do you like it? Yeah. You know, and I'm just glad to see more Japanese whiskeys, more styles coming out. One of my favorite Japanese whiskeys is a simple whiskey, but it's the most impossible to find is Miyagikyo. It's it's so hard to find, but it's really a baseline whiskey. And it's to me, it's very simplistic, but it's it also has components of it that I really, really enjoy. I'm a big fan. But, you know, there's a lot of Japanese whiskeys out there that have fallen to the, the, to the side of the hard-to-get allocated unicorns. You know, mm -hmm. the, you know... It's it's crazy almost to see a twelve year go for eight hundred dollars because nobody can find. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, and that's another thing. So that's the other part of why I I love what we do. It should be. So we're not an inexpensive brand, but I think we're a, we're a brand that's award winning. We're available and we've got age statement. Now, when I look at the biggest players on that field, and this is not to, to, to badmouth the, the product, but certainly I, I would second guess the, the business practice, and I'm not a fan of it. And it's not exclusive to just uh, the world of Japanese whiskey. We know this happens right across the board. Mm. But this is a false economy. These are massive, massive production houses. Yeah. So if you if you want a distillery that makes 9.7 million liters of alcohol, which is just one of your operations, and you're, you're three times the size of Dalmore almost, and you've got 1.2 million barrels of warehouse stock, their words, not mine, but if you've got 1.2 million barrels, that's the warehouse capacity and not far off Glenfiddich. Yeah. So why are we like remortgaging our houses and selling our firstborn children to buy a bottle of 12-year-old? Yeah. It's insane. And it's it's the De Beers diamonds of whiskey. And, you know, like there are other brands out there that like, happens every year or oh, the release is coming and then there's a hijacking of the, 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 the trucks or half the distillery was blown up all that. 
you should you should buy a lottery ticket because you are on a run every year. Yeah. Every time you need to do something, there's some PR story about why it's super rare and get yeah. your checkbook out. And the, the reality of it is, is it's there's an opportunity there. If, as far as I'm concerned, then go and drink something else. Don't don't wait around. Like if I was to try and say, oh, Glenfiddich, by the way, Glenfiddich, which is one of my favourite whiskeys, Glenfiddich, uh, fourteen year old, that bourbon bar, that stuff's delicious. But by the way, now it's seven hundred dollars a bottle. I would go and drink another Speyside fourteen year old, sure bourbon barrel style whiskey. I would go and find an alternative. I wouldn't tie myself in a knot drinking the Kool Aid, thinking, "Oh, this is super rare," especially when it's not. That's why I don't have any happy at home. <laughs> For the principle yeah, of the thing. Ju- yeah, pure principle, and yeah. and it's extortionate. Yeah. <laughs> and it's but the thing about it, and it's great, but it's great whiskey, right? So that's the thing, right? So again, the point being, all of these whiskeys are fantastic, but the minute we start to price people out of being even remotely inclusive into just getting an entry level whiskey, like I get it. I mean, our, our grain select will probably cost most people, you know, fifty, fifty five bucks a bottle, give or take. Like that's not cheap. So that can be a lot of money to a lot of people. So I'm not trying to be flipping about it, but it's an affordable luxury in the grand scale of things when you look at most Japanese whiskey shelves. To get our pure malt or a pure malt 10 year old, again, you can get it with Shibui. And, and to have an age statement that's sitting around about 130 bucks, like I, I would pay that, like because I know what the alternative is out there. And, I, and I'm, I'm kind of done paying those massive amounts of money for only because it's limited in what's coming out into the USA market. So it's I, not even, go ahead. Yeah, go, I was just going to say, go. I'm enjoying the kind of like anarchist punk rock undertone of this conversation, quite honestly. And <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's yeah. what I fucking love about it. It's yeah. like this, I love people like you, dude, because you, you, your job is to go and sell a product, but you're one of the people that also believes and then on top of that, hates the bullshit mm-hmm. that's out there that's making your job you know, I think about every time I talk to somebody about whiskey, if I hear one more time, can you get me a bottle of Blanton's, I will pull my hair out. It's it's literally, <laughs> stop it. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. just, it's, it's, well, is it not good whiskey? No, it is good whiskey, but just stop. It's not the end all be all stop. just because that's yeah. the story. Come at on. The time. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's annoying. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I have personally watched whiskeys that I've really, really enjoyed become something crazy. I mean, Glendronic 15 was one of my favorite whiskeys of all time. And now it's this, it's become this weird ass unicorn and some crazy, you know what I mean? It's just, and Glendronic in general is a gorgeous distillery. And I, I, I love what that team does. And Rachel Berry is amazing, but it's yeah. because it, it's become its own thing and it's becoming its own thing. Um, yeah. I, I've switched to Highland Park in hopes of, and, and then it's going to become its own. So I get irritated. I see your point. I, 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 I feel for you and I, I get your, your pangs and everything. And one of the reasons we have this show in general is to show people there's other options. Yeah. Now, I will have somebody from Buffalo Trace on the show. Sure. And we'll talk about it. And I'll be like, man, it's the best. But even to that person, to be honest with you, I'll tell them, you know, you got to know. Even they're going to tell you we have other whiskeys in our portfolio that are amazing. Right. You don't have to just go for blah, 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 the yeah. BTAC. But that's my and rant. Look, it, it, and you're right, Bobby. And it's like there's a couple of things. like supply and demand. Like it takes time to make whiskey. That's the other thing. So you need to look down the line like nothing's you know we 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 laid down a 10-year stock supply on our existing portfolio and we will build it to a 40-year stock plan like i need to think 40 years ahead so i'm not looking at what we're doing now i'm looking at what we're doing 10 years 20 years 30 years from now and thinking about what does that market look like yeah and even in, in you know for every every whiskey company will be same thing like the cost of goods the cost of shipping for us our containers getting you know uh, containers out getting on a boat from Japan is really difficult and has been massively expensive for us. Like our costs have gone, like I want to say, more than ten times higher just for shipping, yeah. right? And in an eighteen-month period, so what used to cost us, you know, two and a half, three grand to get in a boat, is now twenty thousand dollars per container. So it's insane. So so and, and then you either need to pass that on to the consumer or you need to eat it. For us, we're a new brand, so we eat it. Uh, but it, it just means the cost of doing business is expensive, and and it's the same. Even and that doesn't matter if you're a new brand like us, or if you're you know McAllen, 
Like they're, this is the same thing. The cost of doing business has just skyrocketed. And 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 from that point, I can, I can feel the pain across the board, but but that's the point of whiskey that I think genuinely, and the thing that I hope for for most whiskey drinkers is if all you do is drink one whiskey over and over and over again, as great as it can be, keep it keep it as part of your collection and always go back to it. But like, try other things. Don't see what else is out there because there are so many other whiskeys that are probably quite like, not exactly like, but quite like what you, you've already enjoyed. And you, you might find like, oh, this one's a bit better for earlier in the day or this one's something that I like at the weekends or this is something that, you know, my friends enjoy more or whatever. But to only drink one whiskey, oh. Unless you're a crusty... Like, homicide detective <laughs> and you come home and you know you have your stag on the table and right. your your red stag and you're just like it just gets me through the night wait wait the crusty yeah. detective the cr- is drinking the black cherry flavored yeah. jim beam he likes not it. that he, i'm a connoisseur of jim he, beam but yeah. he's got his loves hey babe yeah honey um could you talk to me about single cask nation i've heard of these people yeah yeah cool guys cool guys yeah yeah they're like independent bottlers. Sure are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even I know that. You should. You should know that. Yeah. The seventh retail release of Single Cast Nation is hitting U.S. shelves starting in July. What? Yeah. Six new casks of whiskey, anywhere between ten and twenty years old. Nice. Each one more delicious than the next. Wow. Yep. Every single cask has to be approved by me or my business partner, Jason Johnston Yellen, Mm -hmm. we only bottle the stuff that we fall in love with. Yes. We only bottle the stuff that we would want to open our wallets for. I know it. Right? Mm -hmm. We're proud to have Impex as our importer, and Impex is proud to be a sponsor of the Cast Chasers podcast. Nice. But um, speaking of drinking, (laughs) segue. Can we please... Get into this. I'm amazed that we've gotten this far, but it just goes to show the quality of conversation. So well, I think it I'm needed to all be said, and I, yeah. I hope our listeners hear that and they go, "Okay, you know what? I'm going to walk down the aisle a little further and see what else is available." So, speaking of things being said, I apologize to the listeners for any uneditable baby oh, chatter in the let background. Let me tell you, <laughs> they won't even know. Really? Oh, my master editing team. Probably one of the best. I'm standing in awe of this yeah, editing. So team. you won't even know a baby existed. Wow, so that's <laughs> we kind of did a lot of lead up in yeah. previous episodes. <laughs> she was pregnant. Um, <laughs> so so what do you want us to start with? Where are we at? So I know. Cool. So we tried grain select pure malt, pure malt ten year old. So I think we yes. just go right into the single grains here. Yes. So okay. let's start with the let's start with the ten year old. I think you've got ten year old bourbon cask. You've got the ten year old white oak. Uh, That's the one that I just poured for myself. Cast right here, because I was very excited to try this. All right, so we right, have. The- so let, let, let's start with the bourbon cask. So bourbon cask. This comes from our Shinzato Distillery, which was built in 1846. Which is amazing because if you look up when the Japanese whiskey began, it starts in 1920. But uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> so again, <laughs> mm, gee, something needs to do that. But so this was a distillery, obviously distilling other things at that time. Um, and most of these distilleries were Awamori distilleries in, in, in a previous life and other things. And, and they, you know, like every distillery, they make lots of different alcohols. Um, and this is, this to me is, is you know, we're eighth generation family owned distillery here. Um, it is premium indica long grain rice. So we're using an aromatic style of rice. There are, even in, in the world of rice whiskies, most people who have tried other rice whiskies, it's Japonica rice, which is super, super high grade sushi rice, which is really light and floral and, designed to be delicate, like think of sushi rice, it's the beautiful edible plate that transfers fish into your mouth. Uh, And when you distill it, you get these really light aromatics. And when you're using white and yellow koji, again, we'll produce lighter styles. We are not, we're using a kind of fuller bodied style of grain. We use indigenous Okinawan black koji in the sacrification process. We then uh, distill, this is a single stainless steel pot still distillation. And then it goes into American oak ex bourbon casts. And it's just got that really unique, there's an earthiness that's matched with like creme brulee, like cracked black pepper, little hints of spiced oak on the finish. But to me, this is just a really pretty whiskey that's just sweet and elegant. And the first time I tried, Bobby, so I know that you you, you tried other rice whiskies, but the first time I tried what, what has now become Shaburi, and we went through 1,400 different cast samples before we chose what we've got. 
But before, when I first tasted this, this is when I really sat up and went, huh, why have I not been drinking this for the last 20 years from Japan? Because this shit is outstanding. And that's the difference. It was different. It was, you couldn't make this in Scotland if you tried. I... I'm so excited that this lived up to my hope for this whiskey. You know, just when I saw that, you know, Asian bourbon uh, casks, I was like, okay, all right, all right, I'm set for this. When I was nosing this, I got kind of, um, so the earthiness that you mentioned a second ago, I got kind of the, the light natural material funk of a craft room. I know. I'm sorry. I like. I always have these weird off the wall comparisons, but I got that, and then like salted caramel, just those two things. Yeah. Very, very clearly. It's actually crazy. Yeah. I wish I would have wrote it down. Yeah. I get fresh clay. Yes. Like really in a in a really I was interesting. Plato, but better no, than that. No, but like real earthy yes. clay, and then it almost has this. Um, I love this smell so much, but it has the. You ever you ever mowed fresh wild onion? Yeah, mm-hmm. that not oniony. That's in a bad way, like when you chop an onion, but that grassy, yeah. sweet, almost citrusy. Here's the taste, and here's why I waited to taste it. I, I wanted to wait to drink it with you, but I drank it before because I'm a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> well, you heard it here first. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I was gonna be like, I'm gonna Find have this business moment. card. Right? Yeah. Right. I'm a piece of shit. So I drank it before. And it reminded me in that moment, and it reminds me now. And for the listeners, if you don't know what this is, you know, go back in time and have a childhood. Honeysuckle. It's got that. Yeah. You remember the honeysuckle bush when you were a kid, and you would pull the back out, and a little bubble of uh, of uh, uh, the dew or whatever the the nectar would come out of the little flower, yeah. and you would taste it. You yeah. would have to eat fifty thousand of them to get any kind of you know value of flavor. But it has a very mild honey mm-hmm. kind of thing going on which is what you get from honeysuckle with floral in there it is it is elegant i think is the only way i can it's it's almost something i would serve it's a perfect cocktail whiskey i hate saying things like that because i said I table whiskey I once and everybody wanted, laughed at me but i wouldn't even want to put this in a cocktail to be honest no 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 no, no. I'm, sorry i mis- i misrepresented myself not cocktail mix cocktail hour it's a really clean alcohol yes and that by using, so indigenous Okinawan black koji, there's a reason for that. It produces a really high amount of citric acid in the mash. So all of these things we're doing for a reason. And to me, what this introduces, it starts to introduce what I consider to be the, the, the element of terroir. And when we talk about Japanese whiskey, it's difficult to talk about terroir because the grain, predominantly what people are drinking is malted barley whiskey, but the grain isn't isn't produced in Japan. So in this instance, we can start to look at terroir. We can start to get that kind of earthiness and that umami note that comes through from the, the, the using using koji and doing different things. And then just because the style of spirit, the style, the style of distillate is so unique, mm-hmm. that maturation in oak is just, you know, just what really sets everything apart. And again, like all shibuya, it's all natural color. It's non-chill filtered. So you get that kind of creamy, mouth feel and texture but it's a really light uh, clean style of alcohol so it doesn't didn't bog down your palate it's not right. it's not it's not syrupy or, or you know viscous to that to that degree it coats your mouth and there's a great finish on it uh, but it's not it's not like um i don't know like it's not got that kind of syrupy texture that you sometimes get with whiskeys that you know and that's, kind of been that's do- what i was expecting about. too especially with that like strong caramel note but i love the contrast of the mineral quality that's coming through alongside that sweetness. I think you need that so it doesn't become syrupy, like you said. And yeah. and I hope it, it's not coming across the wrong way. I, again, like I tend to, I tend to equate uh, the nose and the tape, you know, palette of different whiskeys with very like specific memories, experiences. We've talked about before, this on podcasts yeah. before, but the craft room that I'm talking about, right? Like these are these are pleasant memories of you know, smelling fresh construction paper or like opening a box of crayons for the first time and you just kind of get that in, right? Like that type of earthy mineral, can't quite put my finger on it. So, and that's something that I have not ever tasted before. So it's, I love a whiskey that kind of stands out in my memory for whatever reason. And this one definitely does it for me. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Like, 
again, for me, it was just about like, I hadn't ever had anything like it. Yeah. And and myself, Lauren and Rachel uh, and Brett all sat and we do our tastings together um, in person or virtually as we were doing in some instances. But um, it, it's so cool to when you get something in front of you and you're going through it and you're like, what is that note? Like, what is that yeah. moment? And to me, like, there's, there's a moment of almost like, um, if you've ever walked into like a, like an old church where some like they've had like a mass or incense or something's been lighting yeah. candles or something like that. Uh-huh. There's a hint of that as we start to go down the range, and that that's always sat with me when when I started to, to nose and taste these whiskeys. That kind of just I don't know, like it smells like a temple. It smells there's a there's, right. a, there's an earthiness terroir there that doesn't exist in other whiskeys, mm-hmm. and, and and I think that's the, that's the fun part, right? That you get to try something new in a flavor profile that you've maybe not seen somewhere else. So this, this might be a little bit too down in the weeds. So let me know if you want to pass on this question, but (laughs) I'd love to know more about like when you guys are making your cask selection and you're looking for that, um, uh, the ex bourbon American Oak, are there specific partners, types of bourbon that you guys are looking for to, you know, continue to deliver on this taste once you've gotten it nailed down or you kind of free flowing with the bourbon cask that you're using? No, we've got some great partners. Well, I mean, so our distilleries are, you know, we're buying casks. So I don't want to say the usual suspects because they're, they're fantastic cooperages and, mm-hmm. and great uh, bourbon brands themselves. But Brown Foreman, Heaven Hill, those are the brands that that, that, that we particularly like. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so from my standpoint, you know, the, the, the cooperages that we've got as well in, in Japan that kind of can rework files and make sure everything's to the, to the kind of high standard and I think it's I just think it's it, I often tell people making whiskey is very easy making great whiskey is very easy but just much more expensive <laughs> so it's like the process is actually really easy mm-hmm. like it's very it's a simple hundred years old you know right. like thousands of years of, of, of influence but of, of distilling influence but but you're you're really looking at something that is you know, a uh, uh, time-honoured tradition and craft. And then it's just a case of whatever you put into it, you can get out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's why I love to talk about natural colour. Like being a natural colour whiskey is mm-hmm. important to me. And it's important because if you believe in quality oak, like, and we do, we actually have this on the back of a bottle, on the back of a pack, we have a label that says we believe in barrels over BS. And it's true because great quality barrels deliver whiskey. They deliver aroma, they deliver flavor, and great barrels deliver color. And when every whiskey shouldn't look like mahogany. Like, that's right. the other thing. So, like, for me, it's this is what natural color whiskey should look like. And there's some really beautiful kind of dark uh, golden colors on, on our range. I mean, you look at our 15-year-old, I mean, that really is a, a kind of mahogany-style whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, and our 18-year-old is lighter in style because we're using refill casks. So I like when you can look at whiskeys and you can make an educated guess on what the quality of the barrel was, what it was matured in, what was the seasoning, what type of oak it was. Uh, and I think that's that's the fun, right? Uh, for whatever reason, we started to go down this rabbit hole of using caramel colouring into whiskies and darkening every single whisky down. And I just am not a fan of it. Like, I just, I want to see, I'd rather drink a lighter colour whisky that still smells and blows my mind mm-hmm. than, oh, it smells and, and, and looks like every other, cause somebody's, cho- somebody's chosen a Pantone colour yeah. The marketing team have researched and gone, well, somebody told us that the percentage of customers that look at this dark red mahogany is better than blah, blah, blah. I'm like, come on. Right. Like, just, like this sepia tone is in this season. So study show. Correct. Yeah. Correct. correct. Just, like, I'm, we've not picked the color off a wall chart. This is about, and I think, I think, I think that's the, the other thing is that that shows, that's, a, that's a, a, a testament to the quality of the skill set of Japanese master blenders. Right. And that is what master blenders, like great master blenders, that, that is the job. And for us, showcasing amazing whiskey that is natural in color is a testament to the quality of the the, the, the ingredients and the produce and the, the investment we make into wood, as well as the quality of, of the consistency of that color and flavor and aroma through a master blending team that can knock yourselves off. Some of the most impressive whiskeys I've had, though, have not been, you know, I- the, a deep, rich, you know, dark color is always attractive. But some of the most impressive whiskeys have always been the lighter ones. I've always been, I think, at a Singatory, um, 
I don't remember who made it, but it might, the point is it was like almost like almost clear, but it was absolutely yeah. superb. Um, yeah. An eight year, I wish I could, I wish I had the bottle on me. I, I'd pull it out, but it was gorgeous, but I loved it. Yeah. Um, so what, what do we have next? So next up we have a 10 year old white oak. So this comes from our Masahiro distillery, which was built in 1883. And um, again, it's the same grain. So we're using premium indica long grain rice. Uh, this is a double stainless steel uh, pot still distillation. So it comes off the still about, you know, a little bit, quite a bit higher, uh, which is great because it allows us to just pack a little bit more punch when we go into the maturation. We're using European virgin white oak. We toast the inside of the wood, caramelize the natural sugars of the oak and lay this down for at least 10 years. And it is just banging, like tropical fruit salad, whipped cream, and that sea salt caramel note that's exactly what pops through here. The flipped cream note for me is almost like texturally because it's non-chill filtered. You get that kind of oiliness and it just coats the mouth, but it's still light and clean and like really bright. And I know you tell me what do you think, Bobby. Nicholas, this is superb. Absolutely <laughs> superb. It is. I was while you were talking elegantly about about the whiskey. I was thinking on the mouthfeel and how oily and fatty it is and how certain grains, which we've talked a lot about grains today, can produce and certain distillation process can produce those fatty those fatty notes you get. This is a very viscous whiskey, which I did not expect. I mean, you, you judge a book by its cover sometimes. It's it's very light. It's It has light flavors. It's very, you know, approachable. Um, the fruit character, the flowery, but it is heavy in the mouth in the best way possible. It's got so much mouth. I feel like I could chew this, but yet it's not aggressive. It's not no. a punch in the mouth either. It's 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 perfect. It's I guess the word is balanced. Um, can you talk a little bit about the difference between? using we talked about white oak or using american oak versus um european white oak what does that mean what it what what's the difference i mean what's the i mean we could even go down the road of misery or whatever but what does that define how does that change a whiskey for the for the those that don't know pretend like i don't know i mean oh, so i know i know i'm just saying <laughs> it's just a test for everyone else <laughs> For those who, yeah, for those who don't uh, keep their noses in whiskey books all day long, and, and or not even whiskey books, but really books about agriculture and trees and oak and growth patterns and, and how trees are, are kind of growing, American oak is super efficient at what it does. Like it grows straight as an arrow. It's got a very kind of beautiful consistency to to its um, to its growth, and it puts all its branches at the top of the tree. So. Understanding how trees grow is also understanding how whiskey operates within those trees. So if all the branches, the minute you throw a branch into a tree, it actually pulls the oak and it pulls almost like an unusable knot within the oak and you cannot cut a stave through that knot because it will basically be porous and it will leak. So as, as we understand how, how, how uh, the tree is cut and how the staves are, are kind of carved out of that tree, that's important. So American oak is super efficient at that, and that's why you get those beautiful notes of like you know, spiced, you know, kind of spice, and you'll get coconut and you'll get vanilla coming from 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 you know some of those citrus notes as well come through from American oak. European oak is slightly different. So again, um, you know, you'll hear people talk about Krakatoa for American oak, you hear people talk about Krakatoa for European oak, but it's not just as simple as that. There's a multitude of different European oaks within that. Even if you look at France, you know, you you can there's a you know. One of my favourite whiskies from from Scotland is actually Jura Sevenwood, mm. uh, that uses you know five five or six different types of uh, sort of, sort of seven types of there's a clue in the title here, Nicholas Sevenwood, seven different types of European oak uh, to to produce the flavour profile, and it's it's just it's really clever and it's just European oak trees grow differently, so they they throw branches out because they're trying to you know it's a, it's not as consistent a weather pattern in, in, in Galicia and in the north of Spain so they're throwing branches out to try to capture sunlight which means that the trees pulled in different ways and it stretches and pulls the the, the growth patterns of the oak uh, so when you cut and, and 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 create staves out of that it just just operates differently it's just and that's this is the thing that I love about whiskey because this is the organic part this is the part you can't control so this is the part that nature does everything 
and you can literally cut cut um, staves from the same tree, you know, create different two different barrels, put the same brand new distillate into it, uh, and you could end up with two different whiskies because some parts of some staves in the wood would be different from 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 another part of the of the tree. And and that's I often tell us to, to to think about it on this level. This is how important oak is. You have never, ever, ever in your life had the same whiskey twice. Every yeah. whiskey that you've ever bought has been different. The DNA has always been different. That is the that is the, the job of the master blender to create that consistency. You know, imagine going into a kitchen every day as a head chef and you need to make the same meal every day, but the ingredients are always different. That is the job of the master blender because every ingredient, as tiny as those differences are, they are different. So we know that we can get a specific flavor profile out of styles of wood, but every every single tree and every single barrel is unique. And that is the that is to me the most beautiful part about whiskey because it's it's not just a recipe book that people can follow and crank it out. There's there's certainly stuff stuff that we can use to influence it. Um, but for me, European oak just delivers um, you know, a, a deeper um you know, the, the spirit tends to seep deeper in. It's a little more porous. It seeps deeper into the, the wood. I mean, it, the wood contracts. It pushes a little bit darker, richer flavours and colours out. So you end up with this, you know, kind of quite robust flavour profile. I'm glad you I'm glad you said that. Um, I, I say the same thing, not to keep kicking them in the nuts, but um, with Blanton's, you know, people say Blanton's is the best whiskey out there. It's a single barrel. Um, so which year? You know what? What? What release? What? Because it's always going to taste different. It can't be consistency. Is a difficult trick. Well, and I don't think it's something that. Here's here's something that I love about whiskey, and it's like rejuvenation in the last few years, right? I feel like on some level, we as people are starting to crave getting away from what is consistent, what is high volume, high consumer driven. Like, give us something that is a little less controllable, something that we can enjoy and forces us to be in the moment a little bit more. Um, this, you know, and I'm getting a little bit deep here, but I can't help but wonder if that element of craftsmanship and something that we are chasing that we'll only be able to capture for a certain release because of all the things we're talking about is something that's just triggering people these days in a good way, you know, that makes us want to get back to something like that. That, and I think... It's almost like going to your favorite restaurant and knowing there's a dish you like. Sometimes they hit it, sometimes they don't. You know, sometimes I've had dishes that I've been like, "That's fantastic," and then oh, this was it was off today. And I, I think the inconsistency is what's beautiful. Look, I like blends as much as anybody. A Compass Box may be one of my favorite blend houses. I mean, they're fantastic, great organization, great people. Um, but sometimes I don't want consistency. Sometimes I want something funky. Mm-hmm. Also, you brought up uh, Jura and the wood. I thought, you know, Ricky Crawford is a good friend. We love him to death. And, you know, he comes among other he's distilleries. Okay. Yeah. He comes from. <laughs> he's, all, he's all right. He's, he's all right. right. Yeah. 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 Honestly, uh, small doses. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got a show on Amazon. All right. What else is about, right. what else exactly. is about you? Whatever. Um, exactly. Me but he said something that was interesting to me. He's like, you know, there's a variety of different types of fruits out there. You know, apples, for example. Luckily, there are people behind the helm that know that sit down at a table and taste each one and find out the profile of each one. So we don't have to. That's the science behind it. When you get a whiskey, you know, it's good to ha- know your pantry and know what you know. But you, there's almost a trust piece where you go, okay, if this is a good distillery and I trust the distiller and I trust the blender and I trust the team and the person that's trying to sell it to me, I don't have to know everything there is to know about the grain. I don't have to know yeah. the varietal of whatever, right? You know, somebody is sitting at a table going, this grain of rice is better than this. This piece of barley grows better at this season. I don't need to know that. You don't have to be. That's a nerdy thing, which is nothing against. Love it. We like to do that. But I like how I don't have to know all these You don't things. need to know that. You just yeah. need to know the simplicity. Is it good? Did they do a good job? And do you appreciate it? On that note, I jumped ahead into this 18 um, <clears throat> sherry cask uh, matured. My sweet God in heaven. Okay. I missed the last one you guys tasted. I thought we were at the 18, so that's what I just had. Did you I go to the 18? The, the one yeah, you missed was amazing. 
this th- <laughs> and it's and look you know me listeners age statement whatever i could care less about age statement it is an 18 year old i think that's brilliant i think you do get something from age you've heard me rant about it before but mother of god is this good tell me yeah why this is my favorite whiskey now <laughs> oh wow there Holy we go shit it's amazing it's so complex i love that you can taste that it comes from the same family of what you know, the other whiskeys we've gone through today, I, I appreciate that change in evolution, but it just, it just like evaporates into a happy place once you're sipping it. I don't it's, know. So I lived in Japan for a while. And I've been all over Asia. One of the food processes I like about Asian cuisines is they pull things from the mother. They do a lot of aging and sitting in the same vat, you know, almost like a kimchi yeah. kind of thing where mm-hmm. it's just yeah. sitting in its own thing and maturing in there yeah. and they keep pulling from it. It has, like, I feel like some little old lady grandmother has been working this stew. Like she started it when she was a right. teenager. And it's just, the she's, pamp- <laughs> it's so complex yeah. and deep and rich. I mean, the no, it's impeccable, man. Yeah. You don't, they're you not, and again, nobody pays us to come on the show. Yes, he sent us samples, but we get samples all the time. Um, not a sponsor yet. Wink, wink. Um, but uh, but so we, I, I, I don't want people to think, because people know, I'll, I'm honest, man. I'll tell you if it's crap. This is yep. fucking gorgeous. This is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. This Thank is you. gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Right. Roll around. Yes, I, I agree. I, I'm keeping that one in because yeah. she hit I, the nail on the head. I, I agree. I agree as well. So, I mean, it just... The, the last two whiskeys that we've had, those are two of the highest scoring Japanese whiskeys. You know, that those were 95, our White Oak was a 95-point score at IWSC. Well earned. 95 points at Ultimate Spirits Challenge. It was a finalist for the Chairman's Trophy. It was in Forbes Magazine Top 20 and um, Best Whiskeys in the World. And, and, and we're really proud of all of all these things. And then just what I love about anything we do is there's something for everyone, right? So, you know, it's the fun part about what we do at Shibu. We are not one distillery. We are not one cereal. We're not one grain. We're not one style of whiskey. We've got wheat whiskey. We've got malted barley whiskey. And we've got single grain rice whiskeys. And and to me, that's the thing. When you were talking about, do you trust this team? Do you trust this brand? Do You you don't need to know every little detail, but if Shibu release something, I want people that have tasted Shibu to be like, doesn't matter if I've not tried it yet, go and drink it because it's the Shibu team. Trust me when I say yes. this. I would not. Re- I would not release a whiskey if I didn't think it was wow factor. My competitive set isn't every little whiskey that wants to come to the table. My competitive set are some of the best whiskey makers in the world. Yeah, it is Suntory. It I is tr- Mika. I, I it is Balvenie. It is McAllen. I trust so, you. And, and and we're really for, like we're so spoiled. Like we're spoiled for choices at the moment, and the quality of whiskey that comes out of almost every country at the moment is really really great like we really are you know there was a time where that you know you could walk into a liquor store and the whiskey selections were not big uh, regardless whether it was scotch japanese you know bourbon and then just look what's happened even if you walk down a bourbon aisle in most liquor stores now like there's you know shelves and stacks and you know you're five high and you know 10 10 feet long just looking at the bourbon selection alone and that that to me fills me with joy because it means that there's more and more brands doing something for someone. And I think that the, the, the joy of what we do, even with, with this whiskey, this 18-year-old, this is actually matured in ex-fino and ex-manzanilla sherry casks. It's refill casks. So I don't know, did I send you guys any of the 15? Yes. I don't know if you have any. Yeah, we had some so of that. We'll drink, drink the 18 now, and then we'll go back to the 15. But the 18 is, is, is refill, and the 15 it. is first fill. And the fruit different distilleries you know Masahiro and Kumison respectively between the 15 and 18 but the, it, there's just such a no you know, we I, don't I, we don't have the 15 you'll have to send oh uh, man I, I'll when send you, you a little when bit you, to send when you come up you have to I'll, I'll drive down yeah. I'm coming your bring way that weeks, bring so it I'll bring, all I'll bring, I'll bring that bad boy listen it's, it's one of those whiskeys that make you want to you know see the chef if you, you know you're at the table and you're eating and you're like yeah. I need to speak to the chef and you want to bring them out I want to meet the whole team because I want, I want to, I want to give everybody a hug and a handshake. It's, I trust it, man. This is, I'm, I was not a rice fan. Not only do I appreciate rice a little more, the 18 knocked my socks off. Um, they were all 
absolutely superb. Um, here's a new cast chasers. Here's a new whiskey for you to get on your shelf. Um, a a Japanese a whiskey from Japan. If if I if I can appease uh, if I can appease Nicholas here. <laughs> Paying attention. Listen, I I always hate getting off with you. Um, that was wrong. Well, well, you know what? No, he's I such it a stays fan of your whiskey. It stays in. Wow. I, I, went, I went real awkward. Real yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll see you for dinner. No, I always hate ending these conversations with you because I mean it's the second time we've hung out, and I can't wait to do it again. Um, time is what it is, so we have to wrap yep. it up. But fantastic. It's always it's always a representation of the people behind it. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that's something that always draws me in. You know, I mentioned a minute ago that I love when the whiskey that I'm drinking leaves an imprint. There's something that stands out. It brings up a specific memory or has unique taste, like so much of what we've had today. And then when you couple that with a group of people that so clearly the personality, the vibe, the kind of challenge comes through that that's part of making this, and then I'm completely sold. So sold. Good job, guys. Man. Thank yeah. you so much. No, Seriously. Buddy, Consider yourselves shibuid. Yeah. Ah! Shibuid. <laughs> How long have you been waiting to do that? Please please stay since like the first recording weeks ago. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. No, Thank you so good. much for having me on the show. On both instances, I've had a blast. I'm looking forward to sharing a drum in person. Yeah. But yeah. you guys did a wonderful job and I'm just delighted to be a guest. Thank you so much. Buddy, no, thank, thank you. you. The, the pleasure was ours. Yeah. All right. Cool. We out. We out. Shibui. Shibui. Hey, Cast Chasers. That's it for this week's episode. If this was your first time listening, welcome to the family. We're probably just as weird as that one relative, but hopefully with better stories. Anyway, make sure to check us out online at caskchasers.org slash podcast to catch up on our full library of episodes. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cask Chasers so you can stay up to date on all things Cask Chasers, including new episodes, events, and deals on official Cask Chasers merch every whiskey enthusiast is sure to love. Big shout out to all of our sponsors and special guests for your continued support. And most of all, to our listeners, you guys are the best. And until next time you tune in, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. <laughs>